We are glad you are listening to this audio recording produced by Cross Point Presbyterian Church of Park City, Utah. For more information regarding the ministries of Cross Point Presbyterian Church, please visit us online at www.crosspointpca.org. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, let me invite you to find one of our pew Bibles and turn to John chapter 10. You can find it on page 767 or 896, depending on which version of the pew Bible you are using this morning. Now in John, ooh, excuse me. Now in John chapter 10, there are actually two of these I am statements. And if you've been in church for a while, if you're familiar with John's gospel, then you may be aware of the second I am statement in John chapter 10, probably the most famous of his I am statements, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Thank you. Now, we're not going to be looking at that one this morning. Dave and I, we actually got confused as we were planning the service last week, and we both were so excited about the Good Shepherd that we decided we'd skip ahead. But this week, instead of looking at the Good Shepherd, we're actually looking at a lesser-known I Am statement where Jesus says, I am the door or I am the gate, depending on which English translation you're reading from. So this morning, would you please stand and pray with me as we read God's Word? Lord God, let the words of your servant's mouth And the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 1 in John chapter 10, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and life abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to be seated. Now, to truly get the context of this particular passage, you have to understand that John chapter 10 comes right on the heels of John chapter 9. And I don't mean in that obvious sort of way, in the way you would expect that John chapter 8 would follow John chapter 7 and John chapter 5 would follow John chapter 6. But more, what I'm talking about, the events of John chapter 9 are absolutely vital to understand what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10. So let's quickly look at what takes place in John chapter 9. If you want to look back with me, what you see is there's this story in which Jesus is with his disciples. They're walking along in Jerusalem and they come across this man that has been blind since birth. Jesus, feeling compassion, he heals this man in a very unique kind of way. He takes some dirt, he spits in, he creates this mud mixture and he puts it on his eyes And then he invites this man to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam. 
Now, this was a rock pool outside the city wall. So it was a little bit of a distance that this man had to travel. We now know where the precise location of this pool is because in 2004, during a construction project, two archaeologists, uh, Ronnie Reich and Eli Shukran, discovered the steps into this pool of Siloam. So Jesus performs this miracle healing and the word begins to spread. The religious authorities, they hear about it and they don't like what they're hearing. The main reason why they don't like it is because this healing takes place on the Sabbath. By healing a man, Jesus breaks the commandment to honor the Sabbath. But not only does he break it, but he encourages this man who's been born blind from birth to do the same by inviting him or encouraging him to walk this distance to the pool of Siloam in order to wash. So they're frustrated that Jesus is not playing by the rules, the rules which they established, the rules which they have set forth as the only way to really experience the presence and the power and the favor of God. There's another significant thing. Jesus is not part of their inner circle. He's not one of them. You see this in verse 29 when they say this. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. In sporting terms, Jesus is a free agent. He's not attached to any one team, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but he says he's come to bring the kingdom of God. In political terms, you could consider him as an independent. Not aligned with either the right or the left. He was doing his own thing and he had not received the Pharisees' stamp of approval. He had not come to them for their blessing and so they're frustrated and they're angry. They even begin to kind of cast aspersions about his background. They say, well, we know God spoke to Moses. I mean, everybody knows that. But this guy, we don't even know where he comes from. And they're most likely alluding to the virgin birth. The story that Mary conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. We've heard the stories, but we don't even really know where he comes from. We don't know who his father really is. So we're not going to trust him. So they're frustrated, but they can't find Jesus. So the only thing that they can do is they can find this guy that Jesus healed. So they invite this man who had been born blind, but had been healed by Jesus. They invite him so they can question him about this miraculous healing that takes place. And this is how he answers them in verse 30. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard. That anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So you've got this man who's been born blind from birth. And now he's schooling the Pharisees. It's pretty miraculous. You're the guys who are supposed to know everything. But you're saying you don't know where he comes from. And yet we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. And if anyone does the will of God, then God hears him. And this guy is the only person that we're aware of in the whole whole course of human history that's given someone who was blind their sight. So I would say it's a pretty good bet that this guy comes from God. So they don't like this either because he's embarrassed them. And so they answer him. You now imagine this, okay? Imagine if one day you came to me on a Sunday morning, you asked a question and I said to you, you were born in utter sin. How would you teach us? But that's what they say. And then they cast him out of the synagogue and the temple. 
And what you have to understand is the synagogue and the temple is the place where God's presence is in the midst of his people. And when they cast him out of the synagogue and temple, they're closing a door. They're shutting the door to this guy ever experiencing community with the people of God. He's shutting the door to this guy ever experiencing the presence of God in his life, the power and the favor of God. To be driven out of the synagogue was about the worst thing that could happen, maybe short of being stoned to death. Once you were excommunicated, once you were driven out, all the doors are closed. But Jesus goes and finds this man. He finds this guy in order to tell him that the one door that really mattered is still open. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, notice what Jesus says, you have seen him. And I don't think Jesus is really talking about physical sight. That's a part of it. But I think he's talking about the spiritual recognition that Jesus is the Messiah. And the one speaking with you is he. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, that's the end of John chapter 9. Now, this is one of those places where our English chapter divisions is not very helpful. Because this is actually a continuation of everything that has gone on before. But when we see 9, 10, 11, we kind of mentally kind of hit reset and start all over. But what you have to understand is what Jesus says here in John chapter 10 He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's continuing this conversation that's taken place about this man born blind. So let's stop here in John chapter 10 for a little bit. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's saying to them, I'm the door. You guys think you're the ones that open and close the door. You're the ones that keep people, let people in or keep people out from the presence of God. He's like, but you fail to understand. If you skip down, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, this is just the way Jesus talks. And what he's saying is pay attention. Listen, focus on what I'm about to say, because this is of absolute importance. He says, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but he climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him, the gatekeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And then when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him for they do not know the voice of the stranger. And then John says this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Now, the Pharisees not understanding is not so hard to believe. Jesus is kind of mixing metaphors. He's going back. I'm the sheep. I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the door. In one instance, he's the shepherd. In the next, he's the gate. So which one is it? I think in this instance, it's both. In Jesus' day, there were two kinds of sheepfolds. And you can just think of like a pen or a fenced-in area, but a place where the sheep would be brought to keep them safe and protected. There was the communal sheepfold. In a village or in a town, there would be a shared community sheepfold. The shepherds, after taking their flocks out by the day, they would bring them in in the evenings, and they would return them to the sheepfold. The sheepfold would have a door, and that door would have a doorkeeper, somebody who would be paid to provide protection and to make sure that the only people who had access to their sheep were the shepherds themselves. 
So this is one of the sheepfolds that he could be referring to. Only the doorkeeper would have a key and only shepherds known to the doorkeeper would be able to have access to the sheepfold. But there's also a second kind of sheepfold. During the warmer seasons, the shepherds oftentimes would take their flocks long distance and they would build these temporary sheepfolds out in the fields. They would erect these rock walls that were high enough to keep the sheep in, to keep them protected. There was an always an opening in this sheepfold. And in the evening, as the sun would be going down, the shepherd himself would go and would sit in that opening and function as a door to make sure that no one intending to do the sheep harm got in to make sure that the sheep who needed to be protected and provided for were inside the sheepfold and cared for. So in one sense, Jesus is the door, the gate. In order for the sheep to enter and to depart from the sheepfold, they would have to pass over the shepherd. And that's what Jesus is saying, is I am the door. I'm the way in, but I'm also the way out. So what do we see in this particular passage? I think the most important thing in this particular passage is that Jesus is showing that the door is the only acceptable way in. He's highlighting the grace of God and he's exposing the futility of the Pharisees and their vain attempts at self-salvation. They claim to be followers of Moses and they were meticulous about observing the law. And they thought that if they kept the law, God would save them. You've got to get a sense of this if you go into the synoptic gospels. I think it's in all three synoptic gospels. The encounter of the rich young ruler. This man comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher. And then Jesus trying to help redefine his understanding, trying to shift the landscape. He says, well, we know only God is good. He's trying to get him to think in different terms. And this guy says, well, what must I, have to, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And you remember how that guy responded? He said, oh, I've done that. I've done that. I, I'm all about keeping the law. If, if there's anybody that keeps the law, it's me. And then Jesus says, well, okay, if you really want to inherit eternal life, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. And Jesus exposes in this man that he really doesn't keep the law. Because if he kept the law, experiencing the presence and the power and favor of God would have been more significant to him than all of his possessions. But his treasures... His resources, everything that he had collected, they were his real God. And he was refusing to part with them in order to follow Jesus. So these guys are all about keeping the law. They're all about saving themselves. They were followers of Moses, and they were the ones who knew. And everybody looked at these guys and thought, these are the guys. If anybody knows how to experience God's presence in this life, these guys are the ones. But Jesus says, the one who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but he climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, it's a simple but profound statement. Jesus is saying he's the only approved way to access God the Father. You get this when you see how he's contrasting the approved way, the acceptable way, the door versus thieves and robbers. Jesus is saying, if you're, if you're not going through the door, then you probably don't belong. If you're not going through the door, then you're probably up to no good and you have no business being here. Now, as I was thinking about this, as soon as I read this line, I immediately thought of the two bad guys, Harry Lime and Marv Merchants from Home Alone. Anybody remember that movie several years ago, Kevin McCaulkey? Well, these guys are thieves and robbers. They're up to no good. And Kevin recognizes it. 
And he realizes that they don't deserve to be there. And so they try all these different ways to get in. My favorite scene, though, is when Kevin takes all the Christmas ornaments and he breaks them up and he sets a booby trap for Marv Merchant who comes in through the window. And when he puts his bare feet down on the, the Christmas ornaments, they break and those little shards of glass go into his feet. Because Kevin realized that anybody coming through the window, anybody climbing over the wall, they don't belong. Doors are so much a part of our life that you and I don't really think about them. Can you count how many doors you've gone in and out of this morning? If I gave you enough time, you probably could. But you probably couldn't tell me how many doors you've gone in and out of them. But they're important. This morning when we wrap up, service is over and we finish cleaning up and everybody visits for a little while. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Paul doesn't say like, man, it's been real but I'm out of here. And then he just runs as fast as he can and jumps out the window into the parking lot. One, that would be a little dangerous and it would be a little unsettling if he did that. Because we don't go out the window. We go through the door and down the steps and into the lobby and out two more doors. And then you go into the parking lot and you get to your car. And you know what you do? You unlock it and then you open the door and you get in. You don't roll the window down and hop into the window. Now, I do admit, when I was a little boy, I watched the Dukes of Hazard. There's a story of Bo and Luke Duke, two cousins who drove a 1969 Dodge Charger, affectionately called, does anybody remember? General Lee, the General Lee. And whenever any um, action scene took place, what would happen is they'd be like, oh, we got to go. And then they would run, and one of them would slide across the hood, and then they would both jump into the car through the windows. I'm assuming because it was a race car and the doors were sealed, and for safety reasons, the doors couldn't be opened. I used to want to do that, but have you ever tried to climb in a car through the window? It's hard. And after about two days, you'd probably get tired of it. No one of us is going to go down and buy a new car and be like, you know what, I'd like to upgrade to that option where the doors don't open and I always get to climb in and out of the windows. Because doors are important. Doors let us in and doors let us out. The proper way into your house is through the door. The proper way into your car is through the door. The proper way into the room, into the hotel, is through the door. What Jesus is saying, I am the door. If you want to enter into the presence of God, you have to come through me. I'm the way into the presence of God. I'm the way into the grace of God. I'm the way into the mercy of God. I'm the way into the forgiveness of God. If you want to know God, you have to go through me. But like doors, Jesus is somewhat of a paradox. He is both exclusive and inclusive. Somewhat of a contradiction. Faith in Christ is at the same time exclusive. I am the door. There are no other doors. I am the door. He says in one of the I am statements we'll look at in a few weeks. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 1 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So he is exclusive. You and I and every single person in the course of history, we have one opportunity through the door of Jesus to the Father. But notice how inclusive it is. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Anyone who is willing to humble themselves and to go through the door of Jesus is welcomed into the family of God with open arms. Now, this is a difficult passage, especially for where we are in the particular point in time which we find ourselves. Our culture loves pluralism. 
our culture celebrates relativism. And if anybody was a representative of kind of contemporary Western spirituality, I think it would be Oprah Winfrey. Now, she's received a lot of attention over the last couple of weeks because of her speech at the Golden Globe Awards. But in my mind, there's a clip that you can go back and you can find. It's from several years ago. The one that stands out in, in, into my mind is the quintessential summary of Oprah on spirituality was on a show in which she was interacting with a number of religious people, um, Christians, various New Age spiritual, spiritual people, and she begins to share kind of what has shaped her understanding of spirituality. And she begins to describe a book called Ishmael. And in this book, there's a gorilla who is looking for a student that he can teach and train how to save the world. And this gorilla speaks telepathically with the narrator, and one of the lessons that Oprah says that this gorilla communicates to the narrator is that human beings have made the mistake of believing that there's really only one way. But there are, and I'm quoting here, diverse ways of being in the world, Oprah says. There are millions of ways to be a human being, many paths to what you call God. And speaking to one of her guests, she says her path might be something else. And when she gets there, she calls it the light. But her loving, her kindness, and her generosity, if it brings her to the same place as you, it doesn't matter whether she calls it God or not. And then she continues very emphatically, there can't possibly be only one way. So we have a choice. We're either going to follow Oprah in every way is a possible way to God, or we're going to follow Jesus. They both can't be true. They both can't be true. All paths can't lead to God. And Jesus saying, I am the only way to God. Those things can't be true at the same time. Now, either Oprah's wrong or Jesus is wrong because Jesus clearly has in his mind that the only way into the family of God is through him. Now, we don't like this. I don't like this. It's hard and it falls heavy on our hearts and our ears. But we either have to take Jerry's Jesus seriously, or we just have to get rid of him altogether. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to have a buffet in which we create the plate that we want. We take Jesus at his word, or we reject him. Those are legitimate choices. We either embrace him for who and what he says he is, or we reject him like the rich young ruler does. Doesn't matter how sincere, doesn't matter what we're feeling in our emotions, it doesn't matter about our preferences when it comes to spirituality. The issue really is, is Jesus speaking the truth? Sincerity in religious matters is not enough. There are millions of sincere people around the world, but if you're not trusting in the proper object, if your faith is not in the right person or the right thing, it will be disastrous. Imagine if we were going to go rock climbing and we go out you know kind of uh, towards Bob's place up in the R&R &R, and, and very sincerely I bring along some kite string and you bring along some rock climbing rope and both of us sincerely begin to climb and you're anchored in with some rock climbing rope and there I am in the harness with some kite string and then I lose grip and I begin to fall it doesn't matter how sincere I was about rigging up the kite string if it's not the appropriate object it will be disastrous Jesus is speaking the truth. We don't like it. It doesn't matter how sincere we are. When it comes to truth, all roads cannot lead to God. We hear that all the time. 
We hear that. People just say that. I don't think people really think about what it is that they're saying. Because it's kind of disrespectful. It's kind of disrespectful to say, well, all roads lead to God. Because basically what you're saying is in the end, they're all basically the exact same thing. But if you look at Islam, if you look at Christianity, if you look at Hinduism, if you look at Buddhism, you look at other religions, they're saying entirely different things. We don't even take the time to understand what it is that they're saying. We just kind of say, you know, in the end, I feel good about the fact that everybody will end up with God. But it's not true, and it will be disastrous to souls if you believe it. The gospel is a paradox in the sense that it's exclusive. There's only one door, but it's inclusive. That anybody who goes through that door is welcome with open arms. He goes on in verse 7. He says, I'm the door. In the sense that he's also the one who not only leads us in, but leads us out into this life of abundant blessing. He's the one who leads us into a relationship with the living God. He says, the sheep know his voice. He goes before them. They follow him. There is this intimate relationship that God wants to have with you and with me and with his people. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need us. But because of the overflow of who he is in his being, he longs for us to experience the joy of his relational reality, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he's the one who leads us into the life of God. He leads us out into this abundant life. He's the one that protects. He's the one that provides. He's the one that brings peace. That's what the sheepfold is. It's a place where salvation occurs. Notice what he says. If you read down, he says, they are, if anyone comes in through the door by me, they will be saved. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And then notice what he says. He will go in and out and find pasture. And that's this idea of shalom. Pasture is the place where the sheep is provided for. Being able to go in and out means that there's nothing that we have to be afraid of. No one out there to hurt us. Jesus says, when I'm the shepherd, the sheep can go in and out. They don't have anything to fear because I will be with them. I'll provide. I'll protect why do sheep need to be protected? Because there's all kinds of people out there who want to do them harm. There are wild animals that want to come and devour them in order to eat them. And I guess the early part of the 20th century, I didn't know this, but sheep actually grazed and lived in Central Park. Did anybody know this? But around late 20s, early 30s, they had to move them because when the Great Depression hit, they were afraid that desperate, hungry people would sneak in and would steal the sheep in order to slaughter them and have them for food. So there are people, sometimes motivated by good reasons, if you're hungry, you need to find food to eat. But they were afraid something would happen to them, so they had to move them out. Jesus says, when you follow me, you'll be saved, but you'll also experience shalom. Life will be the way God intended it. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the one who provides for his sheep. He says, but the thieves, the robbers, they come to steal and to kill and destroy This morning, how are you trying to come to God? Now, what is it that you're trusting in that will get you access to God the Father? Are you trusting, like the Pharisees, that you can be good enough? Are you trusting that you can give enough or pray enough or study your Bible enough? Are you trusting that you, in the end, when the, the scales of justice and righteousness are weighed, that you'll come out a good person? Well, good people go to hell. Bad people go to hell. Sinners go to hell. The distinction is God saves sinners. And sinners who repent humble themselves and go through the door of Jesus. 
They don't try to do it on their own. They reject all of those efforts of self-salvation and they cast themselves completely and totally upon the grace of God that has been revealed in Jesus. That God saves sinners through the door of Jesus. So this morning, let me invite you to come to God through Jesus the door. The only acceptable way to repent of all your efforts of trying to come in through the window or over the wall and just trust that God has done enough. That in Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. Your past has been washed clean and that your future is bright because Jesus is your shepherd and He goes before you and you can follow His voice. Let's pray.